the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the tagger? Great night to be a Mountaineer, wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rush down the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. And welcome into the program, this Panhandle Sports Live edition. The 22nd day of March, the year of our Lord 2023. I'm Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, alongside... Jordan Nicewarner taking some much-deserved time off. Parker, how are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad, Luke. Woke up this morning feeling good, and what what a scene we saw last night. My goodness. We'll get, to, we'll get into it later on, but geez. The, the scenes of Mike Trout with the World Baseball Classic on the line going against Shohei Otani was something I think written in a book. It was insane. And it, it, Big Poppy said this on the end of the Fox broadcast last night. It's what I think everyone needed for to get ready for this baseball season. And it's got that momentum and the excitement around the game right now. I think it's at an all, it, maybe not an all-time high, but it's been the highest it's been in a long, long time right now. I thought uh, Trey Turner was going to be the poster boy of America after that first home run, after he got that one in, but... It wasn't meant to be. Shohei Otani's just a cyborg, and he's insanely hard to stop. He threw an absolutely nasty slider to <laughs> throw Mike Trout out. But congrats to Japan on winning the World Baseball Classic. That was such a fun event last night, and such a fun event overall. We saw so much great talent, and then the uh, his name's escaping me. I want to say it's Yoshida, the guy who's going to the Red Sox. Yes. He absolutely looked Mr. Fantastic. Home Run. He looks great. He, I'm, I'm really excited. As, as a lifelong Sox fan, I'm really excited to see what he's going to be doing this season. Well, we're going to be talking about a lot of baseball today. A little focus on high school baseball. Obviously, we had the state tournament, so as we turn our attention to high school baseball and softball, we're going to be playing a little bit of catch-up, but we do have an excellent, excellent recap of the Martinsburg Journal to talk about here in just a couple of moments. We'll be getting into more softball coverage tomorrow. We've already talked about the success of the Shepherd men's and women's basketball team. Take another peek at college basketball. West Virginia becoming a Division II basketball powerhouse if it wasn't already because two of the eight teams remaining remaining I should say and the men's and women's final four hail from the mountain state we'll also look at some coaching news specifically at Marshall there was a ton of movement in both the women's basketball and men's basketball programs we'll also hear from Neil Brown excuse me take a look at national headlines as well get Parker's picks all coming up over the next 55 minutes or so but high school baseball Parker uh, this is starting to become one of the best uh, preambles, I think, to Major League Baseball that I've had in a while. Usually baseball season starts for me when I have my fantasy baseball draft. But here comes the World Baseball Classic, and here comes a raucous start to the high school baseball season. Uh, no better antithesized by yesterday's win, Martinsburg against Jefferson. Again, you can find a complete recap of this game in the Martinsburg Journal, but Michael Lupus uh, throws a three-hitter in this game. And this is a Jefferson team that dropped just five games last year with 33-5, and five, of course, representing the Eastern Panhandle down in the state tournament at uh, Power Park. And the Bulldogs that had a very good record but didn't make it, an early victory and a shutout victory at that, 10 to nothing, the final score of this game. Uh, you look at where Panhandle teams are starting right now. We mentioned Jefferson drops this game. Martinsburg's undefeated, don't get me wrong. But you also see slow starts for Hedgesville, for Musselman, 
Spring Mills, thankfully, has already won a game this year after only winning two last year. Obviously, we're only talking about a sample size of three or four games, but uh, early doors, do you see potentially a changing of the guard? Because Martinsburg not just beat Jefferson, they beat him pretty comfortably. Yeah, that's a huge win for the Bulldogs. Again, you pointed at it, 33-5 and last year for Jefferson, and they're they're, I would call them the blue bloods of baseball over here in the panhandle. They've been so good at it for so long at this point. But a win right there for Martinsburg. Again, it's early in the season, but it's laying the statement down and saying we're going to put up a fight. And they weren't. They were a team that was right in the thick of it last year, 25-9 last season. There's potential there. I think there really is to sweep under Jefferson, get in for Martinsburg. They've got a whole bunch of good teams behind them, too. Hedgesville last year and as well as Musselman, as well as Washington, all had winning records last year. Hedgesville a game above 500. Musselman was 19-11. and And Washington four games above 500 at 15-11. But where it comes right here, you mentioned a little bit of these slow starts. Hedgesville one and two, Musselman one and three, Washington trying to piece things together, and then Spring Mills who's trying to right the wrongs from last season. Right now, it's kind of figuring yourself out. We talked about it while we were in basketball season, the, like December, getting around like the start of January and crossover into the new year. I think that's more finding your identity as a team than it is finally putting these in there. So I wouldn't buy insanely high stock into results right now. I'd say once we get into probably about mid-April, we probably got an idea of where these teams are at realistically or maybe more towards the start of the month. But right now, I mean, that's a big one for Martinsburg. You can't discount that. You shut out a team. You put 10 runs up on them. You only allow three hits. That's huge. That's huge for that team. That's certainly going to be a momentum builder. And right now, I'd say the front runner right now in the EPAC. Well, again, five of the six teams in the EPAC conference last year finished with records above 500. Only Spring Mills, who were just 2-21, and 21, but they've already won a game this season. So we'll see if the Cardinals can build a little bit of momentum. I know that they've got that great facility over there, and uh, they're going to continue pumping money into it as well. Um, and, and Berkeley Springs, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the Tribe as well. A little bit of a slow start to this season, a little bit of a lackluster season last year, but from what you alluded to, and we'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow, uh, the softball diamond is where Berkeley Springs is looking to make some gravy over these last couple of seasons, and they've gotten off to a pretty good start this year as well. Yeah, softball's done really good too. Four and one over for the start for Berkeley Springs. They've looked really good on that end. Baseball, they started off 0 and 2. They were 7 and 17 last year, but there's potential there. I think they could steal some wins. You look at it, they could play a series against Grafton over the weekend. I think that's a game where they could take they could take Grafton a good run. They play Allegheny tomorrow on the road. And then they're back at home on the 29th against Spring Mills, which a team we just brought up had their struggles last season. So that could be a potential for Berkeley Springs to right the wrongs and get things right there on the baseball diamond. As for softball, again, four and one start for the tribe, which is fantastic. They're looking pretty good. They got a win over Hampshire. They split against Petersburg and they got a sweep against Martinsburg. They outscore them about do some quick math here. I think 35 to one in their doubleheader, 35 to one outscore them. And they play Kaiser actually today at 4:30 at home. So if you want to go check that out, if you're listening in the Morgan County area, Berkeley Springs softball Kaiser four and one versus three and one, that should be a fun one. But yeah, it's a great start for the tribe in softball. They're looking pretty good. They're at the top of the Potomac Valley right now. They fin- they were 10 and 18 last year and they're already four and one. So already a tremendous start to, for softball anyway. And for baseball, it's a good chance to right the wrongs at the start of the season with the 0 and two chance to get it when it gets Allegheny weekend series against Grafton you can go in that spring mills game three and two and a chance to make that four and two 
Already got a text into the show. You can text us at 304-263-4321. Martinsburg will falter over the season. He also wanted us to know that Hedgesville is 2-1. and one. They beat Hampshire and Frankfurt, lost to Goretti, and the Martinsburg game between Hedgesville uh, got suspended in the third for rain. So already predicting that Martinsburg's going to have a wow. little bit tumultuous end of the season. First year here, obviously I've been covering most of my high school baseball out in the Morgantown area. Morgantown dominated university, in case anybody wanted to know. Yeah, I saw that, that final uh, last night. That, 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 in Morgantown's home opener at historic Dale Miller Field. Done a lot of games on that field. So I, I don't really know the M.O. Honestly, coming out here to the Panhandle, I knew two words, and those words were John Lowry. So yes. we'll uh, we'll wait and see what the shakeup is going to be. But we appreciate the text. Uh, this texter also was somebody that got into the conversation a couple of days ago talking about Kim Stevens, and we'll talk about that here in just a couple of seconds. Uh, but we'll have high school baseball coverage and softball coverage, play-by-play, and have the coaches on here in the coming days to get you as covered up as you need to. It's a tough ask to get down to the state tournament. Six teams in the EPAC, only one get to make it down to the state tournament, unlike basketball that gets two, and we'll keep up with that as the season goes on. But we've got some Division II basketball news as well. We'll get to that coaching news in just a second. But we wanted to tip our cap, Parker, even though they're not teams in our region necessarily. Glenville State still marching. We talked about them yesterday and what things are going to mean now that their head coach is, we'll just go ahead and say it, the rumor is Kim Stevens is taking the Marshall job. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. They're playing number one tonight. They're playing Ashland University. And then West Liberty gets to the Elite Eight, and they don't only win, they dominate New Haven. That was a 2-7 matchup. 95-58 to was the final score of that one. I believe West Liberty started this game on a 24-4 run. And this puts them in the final four. They'll take Black or take on Black Hill State University on Thursday. That game will be at 1 p.m. I believe you can see it on CBS Sports Network. But more importantly for West Liberty and all of us that want to see this matchup happen, it brings them within a game of playing Nova Southeastern, Jim Crutchfield, previous head coach at West Liberty. Nova struggled a little bit to beat Umsel. That's the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Shout out the Tritons, I think they are. But those two teams are remaining in the Final Four. Hopefully we'll get to see that rematch in a national championship game. And Glenville continues marching, Parker, but now you have to throw in the wrinkle of their coach most likely leaving at the end of the season. Yeah, that's the thing, too. you got to bring it to fruition. How will this team respond when the rumors are getting hotter and hotter and hotter of it's it's seeming more and more likely that Kim Stevens is on her way out of Glenville State. Are they going to let that get into their head and say, well, we got, what, maybe a game, two games left, and then we're going to have to hit the reset button more than likely? And that's what I'm worried about with this program at Glenville State. Who is going to be in that position to take that job if or if it's a matter of when Kim Stevens is going to leave? Is it going to be a situation if she's gone and this program just falters? And if that's the case – this opens the women's side in the Atlantic region wide open. And that's such good potential for Shepard mainly because that's a team that's rebuilding, putting things together. We said we've liked a lot of the pieces on that team. That opens the door. And you've got teams like Westchester that's looking good right now. Shippensburg, I know, is losing some of their pieces. They're losing Ariel Jones, which is a humongous loss for that team. It's going to open things wide open, I think, in the Atlantic region if that's the case. But Glenville State, they ended a 22-game win streak for University of Tampa. Great performance by them. They go to the Final Four in the case. West Liberty, like you mentioned, they dominated New Haven. That was such a good performance for them. And it's a West Liberty program again. They've been so dominant. And that's the case of if you're a Glenville State, if you're looking at Glenville State, that's what you're hoping for in the case of what West Lib has done right now. They have a coach leave. They bring in a coach, and it's just the same level of success. And West Liberty's just dominated the Mountain East in basketball for years and years and years. And you're hoping that if that's the case. But 
both teams getting in. Congratulations to both those teams. Hope they perform well in those settings, and we could be seeing two Mountain East teams hopefully playing for a national championship. And again, that uh, Glenville game as well you can see on CBS Sports today. I love that they don't include the times in the preview or the schedule, so I can't tell you when that game is going to be played, but if you tune into CBS Sports Network, I can promise you at some point today you'll see Glenville taking on Ashland with a chance to go to the uh, national championship game. Uh, but we mentioned the Kim Stevens news. We'll talk about that before we take our first break. Neil Brown met with the media two days ago. I want to play some of that tape. But Marshall ensuring their coaching future over the next couple of seasons by re-inking Dan D'Antoni to a three-year contract. Of course, that, that crazy offense and what Marshall was able to accomplish in the regular season in their first year in the conference. But getting knocked out early in their conference tournament was a little bit of a problematic end of the season for them. And, of course, they're going to miss some key pieces. Kinsey's moving on. Other pieces from the Thundering Herd are moving on. And then the Kim Stevens news. So Jake Griffith was the first to report this. He, of course, was uh, a member of the Marshall broadcast team, did games on ESPN+. Plus and the like over the last couple of years. He no longer works for them. He's a freelancer for the ACC. Tweeted out yesterday, was the first source to have that Kim Stevens, once the season was over, was going to take the Marshall job. Now, for those of us with, I don't want to be too brutal, but let's just say journalistic integrity, he also included in that tweet that Stevens and the university did not want it known until the season was over that she was taking the job. So I don't know what Jake's sources were, but uh, I, I trust his reporting. It looks as though all signs are pointing towards Kim Stevens taking that Marshall job. Uh, I'll say, frankly, from what I had heard, a couple, even as a couple of weeks ago, people were saying that that was a done deal, but there wasn't going to be any movement until the season is over. But, Parker, this story uh, kind of gets revealed early. You saw different players from the Glenville State women's basketball team reacting to that story, saying, hey, whatever, we're going to finish out our season, and then we'll deal with this. Um, but signs are pointing to her going to Marshall as the story gets leaked out a couple of days. And like we said, uh, a couple of days before the, the season is over, what that effect could have on the Glenville State women's basketball team. But we've already talked about it extensively. If this is true, it's a pretty good hire for Marshall. Oh, it's an absolutely fantastic hire. I've praised Kim Stevens so many times on the program. I think she's a fantastic coach. She's one of the best coaches in Division Two by far. She's pieced together time after time, and we mentioned it last year's team that won a national championship a lot of roster turnover she brings in she brings in new people and they're right now they're a five seed they knock off a four seed a team that won 20 plus games in a row and they're playing the number one seed who is 35 and 0 on their season they've been absolutely juggernauts as ashland they're able to pull this off and beat the number one team in the nation in ashland that's humongous not only for her resume but only for that team too because someone's going to look at that and say hey that's a top tier job in division two and someone's going to come after that but I think it's a great fit for Coach Stevens if this is going to happen and the fruition is going to take place where she heads over to Marshall. I like what she brings to the table. Now, what I'm really interested in is how she's going to implement her five-and-five five out philosophy with Marshall. Is that something that's going to work in the Sun Belt? Is that something that works in D1? Because, I mean, in D2, I can see where it works because maybe you're able to do that, and not every player is going to be a good ball handler and can take the ball up the floor in D2. D1, probably every player is going to be able to take the ball up the floor. So it's going to, the press is not going to be as dominant as you would think it would be in Division Two. But I'm interested to see how it correlates. We mentioned her baby link to the West Virginia job, possibly. Again, I just think that was too big of a step up going from a Division II school in Glenville State all the way up to a Power 5 in West Virginia. I like this better. It's one step up, not four steps up for Kim Stevens. I think that she's going to have a longer leash at Marshall than what she would at West Virginia. 
and it fits well. And again, the uh, story we've mentioned, uh, Abby Beeman rejoins with Kim Stevens, the coach that knocked her out at her final game at Shepard. So definitely an interesting connection between those two. Well, like you said, it throws the Mountaineer women's basketball coaching search into turmoil. We reported yesterday that Mike Carey has gone around saying he'd be interested in having the job back. And of course, we also heard from Ren Baker saying that it was too early to talk about candidates. The only candidate he did mention was Kim Stevens, and she is obviously off the table. But it was a big day for West Virginia media that day that Ren Baker excuse me, met the media back on Monday. Neil Brown did the same, talking about uh, some of the prospects of his uh, roster in spring. So we'll hear from Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown coming up on the other side of the break. It's Panhandle Sports Live. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back in Panhandle Sports Live here on this 22nd day of March. Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, Jordan Icewonder, from what I understand, going to see some spring training baseball, maybe get a report from him over the next couple of days about things going on down south as these World Baseball Classic players return to their teams. Uh, the Japanese team, of course, triumphant over Team USA. We'll talk about that a little bit here in our third segment of the show. But Neil Brown met the media. This is becoming one of the most interesting and polarizing seasons that WVU football has had in a very long time. Coach Brown talked about his offense and his defense. We'll listen to these comments and then get some of Parker's comments on the other side. But this was Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown meeting the media a couple of days ago talking about his offensive and defensive prospects. I'll start on offense. Energized by the staff changes. Um, Bilal Marshall at wide receivers, Blaine Stewart, both young guys have have a ton of juice about them. Um, really enjoying that. Chad's embraced the role. Um, our guys enjoy him. And so, so excited about those guys. Um, O-line-wise, I think it's about establishing depth uh, this spring and then finding some position fits. We're going to move some guys around just to give us some versatility. Um, excited to see some guys like uh, Sullivan Weedman. You know, I think he's ready to take a next step guy, redshirted. Uh, Mo Hamilton, uh, same. And then Dylan Ray. Um, those are some guys I'm really kind of excited about. Um, Frazier will be limited. Uh, he'll be practicing, but he'll be he'll be limited a little bit this spring. Um, probably keep him out of some eleven on eleven work. Um, at receiver, you know, I think it's about who's going to be the guy. You know, who's gonna who's gonna fill, you know, you know that role of of being kind of the go to guy. I think we've got some guys that, you know, Devin Carter's obviously done that at another school. Um, we have high expectations for him, but I think there's going to be some real growth. I think Jeremiah Aaron, Cortez Braham. Um, you know, Preston Fox, Hudson Clement, Jarrell Williams, I think those guys have had really productive winners, and I think they're ready to take a step. Um, uh, Grayson will be um, limited early for about the first week, and then he'll be he'll be full speed. So when you guys see that on Thursday. And then we've moved Davis Mallinger to wideout. Um, so played safety, we've moved him to wideout. And played receiver in high school. Um, obviously played his first two years here at, at defensive back, um, but want to add his speed to offense. And so he's out this spring. Um, he'll be able to do some uh, some drills on the side, but if you remember, he missed the last four or five games in the fall and, and, and with a season-ending injury, and he's still uh, rehabbing that. Uh, running back, it's just for that room to continue to grow. We've got we to gotta find ways to get multiple running backs on the field. We'll do some of that in the spring. Um, CJ will be limited. He'll practice. Uh, he'll be a little limited. 
uh, as he recovers from the surgery that he had at the at the end of the fall. Um, and then a tight end. I think the, the main point for them is getting them involved in the pass game. Excited about seeing Cole Taylor. You know, we need we need Victor and, and, and Will Dixon. You know, those guys, those are two that we really need to push and, and get more out of. And so on defense, it's really about getting back to basics. You know, we 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 did not play up to our standards last year and and it's we've simplified from a schematic standpoint and and so early on yes alignment and communication is going to be the focal point on that side of the ball um talking about the defensive line is we've got some newcomers up there and some guys that got to increase their role and so um and we're going to put we're going to really push them you know i think that that everything defensively starts up front and then moves backwards and so we've got to be able to establish the line of scrimmage and and get back in. And we've done that in the past. Didn't do as good a job of it last year. And so that's going to be a point of emphasis. Um, just so you know, limited. Uh, Jalen Thornton will be limited. And then um, and then out for the spring will be uh, Zaki Lawton. He's recovering from uh, from surgery that that kept him out of the second half of the season last year. And then. Um, Asani Redwood. Asani had a had an injury during the winter that will keep him out uh, for spring ball. At linebacker, um, I think Lee Koba um, is ready to take a next step. Really, the for Trey Lathan, Jeremiah uh, Trotter, Ben Cutter, uh, Jaito, you know some of those guys. This spring's huge for them because getting live reps, and I really think that. That's a position where we're going to show a lot of improvement. Uh, I'm excited about that guy, that group. There's some youth in there, but there's talent, you know. And I saw I saw somebody talk about this at, in a March Madness uh, press conference the other day. You'd rather you'd like to have experienced talent, but if you had to choose, you're taking talent over experience. And, and I think we have real talent in that room. Um, and then an outside linebacker, you know, Bartlett, I think is is has had one of the best winners in our program. And then. James Hurd, um, really excited to see him. And he, as good a pass rusher as we brought in here from a high school perspective. Um, and then in the secondary, you know, that's going to be a group that we put a lot of pressure on them last year, and some guys had to play maybe before they were ready. Um, and I think what happens a lot of times is you got to go through some pain there, which we did. We went through some pain uh, with our secondary play last year, but also expect that to be one of the most improved units on our team. The thoughts a couple of days ago of Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown. Takeaways for me, uh, very quickly from this, the offensive line is going to be great. There's going to be good depth at wide receiver, but they're going to lack star power. Running back room is probably going to be among the best in the conference. I think the only two position groups where you could say the Mountaineers have a distinct edge over their conference opponents would be the offensive line in the backfield. He didn't mention the quarterbacks in this clip. What he did say was that it's a wide-open competition. Unless somebody really differentiates themselves from another in terms of Garrett Green or Nico, he's going to keep it 50-50 until the fall, and he really needs to make that decision. But did highlight that regardless of the two that he goes with, it's going to be a much more mobile member, uh, that quarterback. And this is going to be a Mountaineer team that runs the ball a lot more, especially with their quarterbacks. Defensive line, I have huge questions about. Outside linebacker, you mentioned Bartlett, but outside of Koba, I'm not confident in that position. And then the secondary, like he said, I think is going to be a lot better than a season ago, but they were horrible last year, so how much better can you get and still be considered to be improved? Uh, he mentioned Davis Mallinger moving from safety to receiver. Interesting little piece of business there. It does two things for me. It says that they've got enough depth at safety to make that move, 
and it gives them a, a much more speedy weapon. Obviously, uh, the Mountaineers, people look at guys like Winston Wright. Uh, I don't want to say Tavon, but when you have that breakaway speed in your wide receiving core, that obviously makes you a much better team, and the Mountaineers have had some burners like that in the past. I'm confident in this team's ability uh, to dominate in the trenches, to dominate running the ball. Outside of everything else, I'm really not sure. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I think the biggest question mark outside of the quarterback position, which is an obvious one, is the defense. I, I don't know how it's going to translate. I don't know how last season, because the defense last year, whew, they, they had some absolute squirmers last year. It was, some, it was rough for them because, I mean, you look at the score totals. You gave up 38 against Pitt, 55 against Kansas. You allow you pitch a really good game against Virginia Tech, but I mean Virginia Tech was also absolutely awful last year. Forty points to Baylor and a win. You let Texas Tech put up almost fifty on you, and it's just you don't see many performances. There's few and far between where the defense showed out really good. I mean Oklahoma State was a good showing, but that was a close one. The defense I think is going to be what defines the team this year. If they can get a couple stops and helps help this team. I think clock management is going to be a big thing for West Virginia this year. There were times where we questioned Neil Brown's game managing at some points. If he's able to refine that in a good running game and a good defense, if West Virginia has both of these and both are very much improved, I think there's going to be a little bit of improvement from what you saw last year. I like how they're going to form this more into a running team. They got the running backs to do it. C.J. Donaldson was the bright spot in what was a very dark, dark season for West Virginia football. If they're able to get him going, get the momentum he had from the start of last season into this season, it'll help a lot. But again, West Virginia has one of the toughest schedules in the entire nation. Opening week of the season, you're going at Happy Valley to play probably a team that's going to be in the top 10 in the nation in Penn State. You get Duquesne for your home opener. Pitt comes to Morgantown, which will be a fun one coming up on September the 16th. Then you go into conference play. But there's a lot of questions in the Big 12, too, with the additions now of BYU and UCF and Cincinnati in Houston. It, there's games here where you say, well, maybe West Virginia will match up better with these teams because they're entering the Big 12 for the first season. TCU, they're coming off a national championship appearance, but they lost a lot. Of, they lost their top quarterback. They lost their top receiver. They lost a really good offensive lineman in Steve Avila. And then Texas Tech, again, they're losing a guy who's probably going to be a top five, if not a top ten draft pick in Tyree Wilson, the best defensive player, I think, in the Big 12 last season. So a lot of question marks in the Big 12. Not sure where everybody's going to be at. A lot of a lot of questions, I think, is coming out of the Big 12 right now. Who's going to be the front runner? Who's going to be in the middle of the pack? Which helps West Virginia because I know it looks like they're rebuilding and retooling right now. But if you have a conference that's wide open, you could surprise some people. Maybe five, seven games. I think really the benchmark right now is to try and get bowl eligible for this team because looking at the contract situation of Neil Brown, we talked about it at length where a firing was not possible just because of the amount of the buyout. But he, I think the number was December 31st of not 2023, but the following year, 2024. The number drops because the contract where it stated he is guaranteed 100% of his salary if he is let go by December 31st of 2024. So after that date... Then we could talk that maybe a couple-year window is what we're looking at right here. If he isn't performing at that point, then we could probably have a Neil Brown letting go conversation. One word answer going into the break. The last name of the quarterback taking the first snap on the road at Happy Valley will be? Mark Yall. Ooh, I like it. Get it spicy. Obviously, a lot more to talk about Mountaineer football as that season approaches. But another break to take. When we return, we'll look at some national headlines and talk about the behemoth of that World Baseball Classic final and that final at-bat as well here on Panhandle Sports Live. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. 
Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Three and two, two outs, top nine. U.S. down a run. Otani set. Trout ready. The three-two pitch. Trout swings and misses, and Japan wins the 2023 WBC. Otani fires his helmet towards the dugout. He's mobbed on the mound by his teammates, and Japan goes undefeated in winning the championship tonight, 3-2. to two. That call courtesy of MLB Network Radio. Whose world is this? Well, for the time being, it's Shohei Otani's world. What an unbelievable performance from Japan. You mentioned Turner gives the United States the early home run. Japan comes firing back, and we wanted that at-bat to happen. We wanted Otani to take on Mike Trout, two of the best names in the game that play on the same team that have not played a meaningful baseball game the entire time <laughs> they've been in uh, in Anaheim, and thankfully they're able to do it against each other uh, in baseball's biggest stage, at least worldwide. And um, we, we talked about how that Japan-Korea game was the most watched game in baseball history. Ratings aren't in yet, but I'm going to go ahead and be irresponsible and say it. That at-bat, without question in my mind, it was the most watched at bat in the history of baseball. I think it will end up being two. It was just such a magical moment. The two best players in the game, you could argue, especially, I think it's undisputable at this point. Shohei Otani is the best player in baseball. I mean, the guy pitches as fast as Garrett Cole, hits like Aaron Judge, and runs like Trey Turner. He's something made in a lab. It's ridiculous how good he is. And then Mike Trout, when he's healthy, arguably, you could say he's the best player in baseball as well. He's good. He's a legendary outfielder at this point at the age of 30. And just seeing that happen. Two guys, again, we can poke fun at the Angels franchise as much as we want. You got the two best players in baseball, but you can't find a way to get to the playoffs. But to see that moment, it was a moment in time type of thing, just watching those two. And that really has summarized what the World Baseball Classic has been this year. It's It's been so much fun. It's just seeing all this talent from around the world. The showcase Randy Rosarena put on for the Mexican team fantastic outing he's gonna be a player to watch coming this season for the Tampa Bay Rays and then I mentioned Yoshida at the top of the show a big signing for the Red Sox people were running oh you're gonna get this guy out of Japan a hundred million dollars are you sure about that well I think he's earned every bit of it and it's he's gonna be a crucial piece to what Boston wants to do and kind of configure their way back with this team being built now around Rafael Devers and potentially Yoshida is one of those pieces to push the Sox into tough AL East and it's just cool moments, and I don't know. Right now, I might have to change my World Series pick to the Phillies because, my goodness, Trey Turner, I think he has dark horse National League MVP potential for this season. If he goes at it, the Citizens Bank Park over in Philadelphia is a hitter's ballpark. He's going to get a bunch of steals. I don't know. It could be a 30-30 season for Trey Turner. He could win that. Kyle Schwarber, again, a guy who hit that bomb to put the U.S. down one. But it was such a it was a, such a fun outing, such a fun event put together, and I'm excited for when the next one's going to come up because I'm sure there's going to be just amount, the same amount of fanfare as it was this past go around. But again, the game of baseball, I feel like it's growing, and it's just been so fun all around right now. Well, Rob Manfred more or less confirming that the World Baseball Classic will be back in 2026. Still credit where credit is due to the United States. Their ace was a 40-something-year-old Adam Wainwright. They're still able to get to the final. Crazy stat on them, by the way. The top 10 American-born pitchers in war uh, last season in Major League Baseball, none of which played for Team USA. Yeah, their pitching staff was kind of low. Yeah, that that by the way, that list includes Mountaineer great Alec Manoa, Zach Gallen, who we were coincidentally talking about during a break of one of today's shows, is one of my favorite pitchers in baseball, Carlos Rodon. So if the United States want to throw a couple more arms into the mix, 
Uh, we'll potentially see if they can try to reclaim the crown from Japan. But it's a budding rivalry and uh, certainly a ton of fun. And think about this. It was crazy. And we've already talked about the idiots and the stupid things they've said about the World Baseball Classic not mattering. There are kids today, whatever country, Japan, the United States, they're going out in their backyard and it's not, I'm striking out Mike Trout in Game 7 of the World Series. It's, I'm striking out Mike Trout in the World Baseball Classic. You know, you mm-hmm. know that's absolutely going to be the case. It was certainly a fun event, and I hope it continues. But uh, a little bit of a somber note, we talked about this also a little bit today and a little bit yesterday. Uh, the passing of Willis Reed uh, played his entire career in the NBA with the Knicks, a two-time champion. Here's Bill Bradley uh, talking about the passing of Willis Reed at 80 years old. You should remember him as a champion, as a leader, as dignified and strong, who was dedicated to his teammates, and love New York, and love the Knicks. And this is just, unfortunately, the the tale of time. Sports getting so big in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, Parker, obviously, after World War II and some of the great names uh, that garnered all of this fame. Unfortunately, we're getting to the era where so many different players, like Willis Reed of his era, are coming to the end of their lives. And uh, it, it just becomes a time to honor some of the great ones, this being Willis Reed, a two-time Finals MVP, a seven-time All-Star, a two-time champion, also spent uh, an extensive career coaching, coached at Creighton, coached the Knicks, coached the Nets, was an assistant as well. Uh, but Willis Reed passing away yesterday at the age of 80. Yeah, definitely a very somber note to come across. Willis Reed, I feel like, I hope now Willis Reed is going to get a lot more flowers than what he has in the past. He's kind of forgotten of, I mean, he played an era with guys, it's defined by Wilt Chamberlain, Jerry West, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Willis Reed, I don't think gets talked about enough as one of the best players of that late 60s, 1970s era in the NBA. He's one of only three players in NBA history to be named an NBA MVP, an NBA Finals MVP, and an NBA All-Star Game MVP in the same season. He's only one of three in NBA history. Do you know who the other two are? One is Shaquille O'Neal. I was going to say Shaq and LeBron. Do you know who the other one is? <sighs> I want to <is> <laughs> put what? you on the spot. It, it might be Will. I saw the graphic yesterday. Uh, that makes yesterday, sense. But, Chamberlain makes sense. All right. But, yeah, definitely a somber, somber day. Willis Reed, one of the best players in NBA history. He was on the NBA's 50th year team and 75th anniversary team. A great player, definitely gone too soon in that case. He lived a great life at 80 years old, but it was definitely a somber, somber passing for Willis Reed, one of the best and most honored players in the history of basketball, and just so much outpouring, too, for Willis Reed and his family, too. He, He's a well-reserved, and a lot of people love Willis Reed. Fantastic player for the Knicks, coached as well, and just, just a tough loss in Willis Reed. Well, we also had a significant start to the college basketball coaching carousel yesterday. Rick Pitino unveiled as the head coach of St. John's, and Pitino saying in a press conference, the Red Storm will be back. We've got to get players that are really committed to winning. Um, And if you get those players, then you win. And I've had it at Kentucky, Louisville, Boston University, Providence College. I've had it everywhere. I was very fortunate to get the athletes that have built a culture of winning. And it's not going to be difficult. It really is not. It's not going to be difficult. There's no difference from St. John's to Connecticut, St. John's to Marquette, St. John's to Xavier. St. John John's is one of the legendary names in all of college basketball. Has it fallen on tough times? Yes, it has. But now we're ready to, to fall on great times. We're ready to raise it up, raise this roof up. St. John's is going to be back. I guarantee that. And he also alluded to significant members of this roster of St. John's team not being back next season. Well, the one thing I want to be honest with, it, that a lot of players 
probably won't be back on this team because they're probably not a good fit for me. <laughs> well, that's one way to do it. That was abrupt. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. I would rather a coach be upfront about that. So if you want to get out of there, you can get out of there. It's, and I saw a, uh, it was a quote tweet from somebody and they said, well, if you're giving athletes a heck of a time with the transfer portal, give coaches the same type of flack as we've seen. This is almost like the coach transfer portal we're looking at right now. We've seen, we can go into some of the other hirings. Uh, FDU's Tobin Anderson took the Iona job that, that Rick Pitino left. But it's going back and forth. I'd rather a coach say, okay, I'm bringing in my guys. If you want to transfer, get out of here now, or you, there's a good chance you might not have a roster spot and you might just have to go be a regular student. So, I mean, I like the upfrontness about it, and that's kind of how coaches need to be in this new era that we have right now. Just say, okay, I'm bringing in these guys. You're probably not going to be playing. If I would recommend you go seek a transfer somewhere else and put your name out there. So, I mean, I like that he was upfront about it, but, again, kind of abrupt with it, too. It's kind of the world we're in. Absolutely, and, and it's it's honestly not because of Rick Pitino, because he has his own troubled past. I, I think college basketball will be better if St. John's is better. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for that program. Huge, huge Luke Karnaseka fan, RIP. Uh, and I also think Chris Mullen is one of the most underrated players in basketball history. So good to see the Red Storm potentially take a step in the right direction. If anybody's going to turn that team around, it is going to be Rick Pitino. But a lot of other coaching News, of course, across the country, Parker, different guys getting hired in different places, also looking to uh, kind of change the fortunes. Toby and Anderson name got called. Paul Mills took a job to Wichita State. If you want to get into some of these coaching hires as well, there was a lot of movement yesterday. Yeah, Tobin Anderson, of course, was the uh, big story of March Madness for the first week. 16 seed FDU beats number one seed Purdue. And this usually happens if you see a big upset in the tournament, usually a coach from a lower conference gets poached to a bigger setting. In that case, it was Tobin Anderson this year. He leaves I he leaves FDU and is going to take the Iona job that Rick Pitino ended up leaving for. So definitely a good opportunity for Tobin Anderson. He's been coaching for a long time. I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the Iona program. Oral Roberts has been a consistently good program over the past few years, of course. Was a big team a couple tournaments ago. Played what a lot of people had them picked as an upset over Duke in the round of 64, too, just from what they did a couple of years ago. But their head coach, Paul Mills, he's going to head over to Wichita State, and that's a program they're trying to get back to national prominence as the Shockers. I'm hoping that's the case. When they rose into prominence in the early part of the 2010s, it was fun to see what they put together. With, I think, I can't remember who else. I know Fred Van Vliet was on those teams, but. I want to see the Shockers get to that level, too, because as you mentioned with St. John's, I think we'll have a lot more fun with Wichita State being one of the premier teams in college basketball. And then this broke a little bit earlier this morning. Kim English, the uh, George Mason basketball coach, he's heading to take the Providence job that was left for their head coach. He went to go take the Georgetown job. But Kim English is going to be the next head coach at Providence, so George Mason now has to find a new head basketball coach. There you go. Also have – there you go. Also have some NHL news. Just wanted to give a quick nod to Ovi. Seems to be breaking records every other day. He's now past Wayne Gretzky for 40 goal seasons. So congratulations to Ovi. The NHL regular season coming down to an end. Uh, and we'll keep you up to date with what's going on in the NHL playoffs because those can always be brutally fun to watch. But one more break to take. When we return, we'll get Parker's picks and wrap things up for this Wednesday edition of Panhandle Sports Live. Panhandle Sports Live. Your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Final segment of Panhandle Sports Live for this Wednesday edition of the show. Luke Wicks, Parker Stone, Jordan Icewinder not with us today. He is currently 
in Hamburg trying out for the German World Baseball Classic team. So, Jordan, we wish you the best of luck and potentially can make that roster. But it is March, and Mr. March is sitting right next to me right now. Come on! You said you were going to ride with me! Make it permanent! And you make it permanent now! All right, yesterday's lock of the day hit by just short of one rebound, thankfully. DeMontis Sabonis' rebounds, the 13-and-a-half line proved to be just about right. And I tell you what, Vegas got it, like, spot on yesterday. It was insane. Like, they had 13-and-a-half uh, was the line for Sabonis. He had 13 rebounds. My two other bonus picks for yesterday were Shea Gilgis-Alexander above 31-and-a-half points. How many does he score last night? 31 <laughs> and then Wendell Carter's rebound set at nine and a half how many rebounds did he get last night nine like it's they they were spot on last don't night. buy a lottery ticket for a week it was it was that and then I told you guys uh yesterday the uh over on points for that uh Tennessee and Toledo women's basketball game 141 and a half you know what the t- total points were that was 141 <laughs> it, it, I guess it's just been that type of week I, I, I don't know but let, let's get you a perfect slate for this Wednesday so my today's lock of the day it's going to be all NBA action once again we'll get back into March Madness games in the Sweet 16 tomorrow I'm going Fred Van Vliet under eight and a half total assists tonight as the Raptors are playing the Pacers now I believe there's a on total like he's he's gotten the under on that eight and a half assists I think like 74 percent of the season I like the odds on that one I think he'll be under on that one Fred Van Vliet I think more of a scorer than a facilitator so I like Fred Van Vliet under eight and a half eight and a half assists tonight against the Indiana Pacers I also like the Atlanta Hawks over the Timberwolves now the Hawks aren't favored in this one they're actually four and a half point underdogs but statistically Timberwolves when they're favored against Eastern Conference teams they haven't done particularly well in those matchups and as well as Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns are day-to-day with injuries right now. Now, DeJounte Murray also will not be playing for the Hawks, but I do like Atlanta to win this game. I feel like they're going to try and keep their hopes alive of a play-in behind Quinn Snyder and that team. I like the Hawks to beat the Timberwolves tonight in an upset on the road. Also, I got Jimmy Butler under 7.5 total rebounds tonight against the New York Knicks. I, I like Jimmy under on rebounds lines a lot, especially when you got Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson down low for the Knicks. It's going to be tough to get those rebounds, and then you got Bam Adebayo who's going to try and get his. I just see that under seven and a half, and I'm thinking that's going to be a pretty good line to go for. So for today's picks, lock of the day is going to be Fred VanVleet under eight, eight and a half total assists against the Pacers for Toronto. Atlanta Hawks beat the Timberwolves. Jimmy Butler under seven and a half total rebounds against the New York Knicks tonight. There you go. From Parker's mouth to your ears, the locks of today. One thing I forgot to mention, the Mountaineer baseball team just snapped a nine-game winning streak. Unfortunately, they lost to Hofstra. 4-2 to two at Wagner Field in uh, Mon County Ballpark. They play Hofstra again today. They were ranked coming into this game, number 24. And really quickly, wanted to get your thoughts. I believe this is unofficial, uh, but this is a, a Twitter version of the World Baseball Classic All-Tournament team. I'll read it to you really quickly. Salvador Perez from Venezuela. Yu Chang from Chinese Taipei. Uh, Javier Baez from Puerto Rico. Yoan Moncada from Cuba. Trey Turner makes it. Mike Trout makes it from the United States. Randy Rosarena from Mexico. Masataka Yoshida from Japan. Shohei Otani makes it twice as a designated hitter and a pitcher. Miguel Romero from Cuba and Patrick Sandoval from Mexico. Pretty solid list. I'd say that's just about right. I, I by far and away the best players for the U.S. were Trey Turner and Mike Trout for the most part. Those two guys put on an absolute show. And then, of course, Otani being Otani, he was the MVP of the whole entire 
event, which is well-deserved. Randy Rosarena had a fantastic performance. Yoshida had a fantastic performance. Yu Chang over at Chinese Taipei had another great performance as well. Really solid list, and it shows you how global the game is when you have all these players from all sorts of different countries and nations putting up these type of numbers in a world environment. It's like, I think somebody likened it to the Olympics, but with all the, all the, all like all the fanfare and all the stuff you don't want to watch out of it, <laughs> which, which is pretty cool. It, it's a fun environment and it's, but a lot of buzz, the world baseball classic, definitely something to look out for the next go around. Well, that's going to do it for us in this edition of Panhandle sports live. I invite you to tune in tomorrow. Parker stone, Watch out, ladies and gentlemen, especially the ladies. We'll be taking over the hosting duties, filling in for Jordan Ice Warner, who's gone for the next couple of days to take in some spring training baseball. We've got Panhandle Live coming your way next. You don't want to miss it. This has been Panhandle Sports Live. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.